Chapters ten and eleven of Cousin Maud by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Ten, the engagement real and prospective. To her niece, Mrs. Kelsey had communicated the result of her interview with J.C., and that young lady had fallen into a violent passion, which merged itself at last into a flood of tears and ended finally in strong hysterics while in this latter condition mrs kelsey deemed it necessary to summon her brother to whom she narrated the circumstances of nelly's illness to say that the doctor was angry would but feebly express the nature of his feelings he had fully expected that nelly would be taken off his hands and he had latterly a very good reason for wishing that it might be so grown-up daughters he knew were apt to look askance at stepmothers and if he should wish to bring another there he would rather that nelly should be out of the way so he railed at the innocent maud and after exhausting all the maxims which would at all apply to that occasion he suggested sending for mr de vere and demanding an explanation but this mrs kelsey would not suffer it will do no good she said and may make the matter worse by hastening the marriage i shall return home to-morrow and if you do not object shall take your daughter with me to stay at least six months as she needs a change of scene i can if necessary intimate to my friends that she has refused j c who in a fit of pique has offered himself to maud and that will save nelly from all embarrassment he will soon tire of his new choice and then i won't have him if he does gasped nelly interrupting her aunt i won't have anybody who has first proposed to maud i wish she'd never come here and if pa hadn't brought that woman helen and the doctor's voice was very stern for time had not erased from his heart all love for the blue-eyed mattie the gentle mother of the offending maud and more than all the mother of his boy helen that woman was my wife and you must not speak disrespectfully of her nelly answered by a fresh burst of tears for her own conscience smote her for having spoken thus lightly of one who had ever been kind to her after a moment mrs kelsey resumed the conversation by suggesting that as the matter could not now be helped they had better say nothing but go off on the morrow as quietly as possible leaving j c to awake from his hallucination which she was sure he would do soon and follow them to the city this arrangement seemed wholly satisfactory to all parties and though nelly declared she'd never again speak to jed de vere she dried her tears and retiring to rest slept quite as soundly as she had ever done in her life the next morning when maud as usual went down to superintend the breakfast she was surprised to hear from hannah that mrs kelsey was going that day to rochester and that nelly was to accompany her nobody can cuse me said hannah of not fillin scripture once it war it says them as has ears to hear let em hear for i did hear em a-talkin last night of you and mr de vere and i tell you they're ravin mad to think you'd cotched him but i'm glad on it you deserves him if anybody i suppose that t'other chap ain't none of your marryin sort and unconscious of the twinge her last words had inflicted hannah carried the coffee-urn to the dining-room followed by maud who was greeted with dark faces and frowning looks scarcely a word was spoken during breakfast and when after it was over maud offered to assist nelly in packing her trunks the latter answered decisively you've done enough i think a few moments afterwards j c's voice was heard upon the stairs he had come over to see the lioness and her cub as he styled mrs kelsey and her niece whose coolness was amply atoned for by the bright joyous glance of maud to whom he whispered softly won't we have glorious times when they are gone 
their projected departure pleased him greatly and he was so very polite and attentive that nelly relented a little and asked how long he intended remaining at laurel hill while even mrs kelsey gave him her hand at parting and said whenever you recover from your unaccountable fancy i shall be glad to see you you'll wait some time if you wait for that muttered j c as he returned to the house in quest of maud with whom he had a long and most delightful interview for old hannah in unusually good spirits expressed her willingness to see to everything saying to her young mistress you go along now and court a spell i reckon i ain't done forgot how i and crockett sot on the fence in old virginny and heard the bobolinks a singin old hannah was waxing sentimental and with a heightened bloom upon her cheeks maud left her to her memories of crockett and the bobolinks while she went back to her lover j c was well skilled in the little delicate acts which tend to win and keep a woman's heart and in listening to his protestations of love maud forgot all else and abandoned herself to the belief that she was perfectly happy only once did her pulses quicken as they would not have done had her chosen husband been all that she could wish and that was when he said to her i wrote to james last night telling him of my engagement he will congratulate me i know for he was greatly pleased with you much did maud wonder what james would say and it was not long ere her curiosity was gratified for scarcely four days were passed when j c brought to her an unsealed note directed to cousin maud i have heard from jim he said and he is the best fellow in the world hear what he says of you and from his own letter he read i do congratulate you upon your choice maud remington is a noble creature so beautiful so refined and withal so pure and good cherish her my cousin as she ought to be cherished and bring her some time to my home which will never boast so fair a mistress i'm so glad he's pleased said j c i would rather have his approval than that of the whole world but what crying i do believe and turning maud's face to the light he continued yes there are tears on your eyelashes what is the matter nothing nothing answered maud only i am so glad your relatives like me j c was easily deceived so was maud and mutually believing that nothing was the matter j c drummed on the piano while maud tore open the note which james had written to her it seemed so strange to think he wrote it and maud trembled violently while the little red spots came out all over her neck and face as she glanced at the words my dear cousin maud it was a kind affectionate note and told how the writer would welcome and love her as his cousin while at the same time it chided her for not having answered the letter sent some weeks before perhaps you did not deem it worthy of an answer he wrote but i was sadly disappointed in receiving none and now that you are really to be my cousin i shall expect you to do better and treat me as if i had an existence j c must not monopolize you wholly for i shall claim a share of you for myself poor poor maud she did not feel the summer air upon her brow did not hear the discordant notes which j c made upon the piano for her soul was centred on the words sadly disappointed love you as my cousin and claim a share of you for myself only for a moment though and then recovering her composure she said aloud what does he mean i never received a note i know it i know it hastily spoke j c and coming to her side he handed her the soiled missive saying it came a long time ago and was mislaid among my papers until this letter recalled it to my mind there is nothing in it of any consequence i dare say and had it not been sealed i might perhaps have read it for as the doctor says 
it's a maxim of mine that a wife should have no secrets from her husband hey maud and he caressed her burning cheek as she read the note which had it been earlier received might have changed her whole after-life and still it was not one half as affectionate in its tone as was the last for it began with cousin maud and ended with yours respectfully but she knew he had been true to his promise and without a suspicion that j c had deceived her she placed the letters in her pocket to be read again when she was alone and could measure every word and sentiment that afternoon when she went to her chamber to make some changes in her dress she found herself standing before the mirror much longer than usual examining minutely the face which james devere had called beautiful he thought so or he would not have said it but it is false she whispered even j c never called me handsome and taking out the note that day received she read it again wondering why the name cousin maud did not sound as pleasantly as when she first heard it that night as she sat with louis in her room she showed the letters to him at the same time explaining the reason why one of them was not received before oh i am so glad said louis as he finished reading them for now i know that james devere don't like you don't like me louis and in maud's voice there was a world of sadness i mean returned louis that he don't love you for anything but a cousin i like j c very very much and i am glad you are to be his wife but i've sometimes thought that if you had waited the other one would have spoken for i was almost sure he loved you but he don't i know he couldn't be so pleased with your engagement nor write you so affectionately if he really cared maud hardly knew whether she were pleased or not with louis's reasoning it was true though she said and inasmuch as james did not care for her and she did not care for james she was very glad she was engaged to j c and with reassured confidence in herself she sat down and wrote an answer to that note a frank impulsive maud-like answer which nevertheless would convey to james devere no idea how large a share of that young girl's thoughts were given to himself the next day there came to maud a letter bearing the canada postmark together with the unmistakable handwriting of janet hopkins maud had not heard of her for some time and very eagerly she read the letter laughing immoderately and giving vent to sudden exclamations of astonishment at its surprising intelligence janet was a mother a livin mother to a child born out of due season so the delighted creature wrote and what was better than all it was a girl and the sunday before was baptized as maud matilda remington blodgett hopkins there being no reason she said why she shouldn't give her child as many names as the queen of england hitched on to hers besides that it was not at all likely that she would have another and so she had improved this opportunity and named her daughter in honour of maud mattie harry and her first husband joel but she wrote i don't know what you'll say when i tell you that my old man and some others have made me believe that seeing i've an heir of my own flesh and blood i ought to change that will of mine so i've made another and if maud matilda dies you'll have it yet t'other five thousand is yours anyway and if i didn't love the little wudget as i do i wouldn't have changed my will but nature is nature scarcely had maud finished reading this letter when j c came in and she handed it to him he did not seem surprised for he had always regarded the will as a doubtful matter but in reality he was a little chagrined for five thousand was only half as much as ten still his love for maud was as yet stronger than his love for money and he only laughed heartily at the string of names which janet had given to her offspring saying 
it was a pity it hadn't been a boy so she could have called him jedediah cleshpotham he does not care for my money maud thought and her heart went out toward him more lovingly than it had ever done before and her dark eyes filled with tears when he told her as he ere long did that he must leave the next day and return to rochester the little property left me by my mother needs attention so my agent writes me he said and now the will has gone up and we are poorer than we were before by five thousand dollars it is necessary that i should bestir myself you know maud could not tell why it was that his words affected her unpleasantly for she knew he was not rich and she felt that she should respect him more if he really did bestir himself but still she did not like his manner when speaking of the will and her heart was heavy all the day he on the contrary was in unusually good spirits he was not tired of maud but he was tired of the monotonous life at laurel hill and when his agent's summons came it found him ready to go that for which he had visited laurel hill had in reality been accomplished he had secured a wife not nelly but maud and determining to do everything honourable he on the morning of his departure went to the doctor to whom he talked of maud expressing his wish to marry her very coldly the doctor answered that maud could marry whom she pleased it was a maxim of his never to interfere with matches and then as if the subject were suggestive he questioned the young man to know if in his travels he had ever met the lady maud glendower j c had met her frequently at saratoga she was a splendid creature he said and he asked if the doctor knew her i saw her as a child of seventeen and again as a woman of twenty-five she is forty now was the doctor's answer as he walked away wondering if the maud glendower of to-day were greatly changed from the maud of fifteen years ago to j c s active mind a new idea was presented and seeking out the other maud his maud he told her of his suspicion there was a momentary pang a thought of the willow-shaded grave where kate and mattie slept and then maud remington calmly questioned j c of maud glendower who she was and where did she live j c knew but little of the lady but what little he knew he told she was of both english and spanish descent her friends he believed were nearly all dead and she was alone in the world though forty years of age she was well preserved and called a wondrous beauty she was a belle a flirt a spinster and was living at present in troy she'll never marry the doctor said maud laughing as she thought of an elegant woman leaving the world of fashion to be mistress of that house still the idea followed her and when at last j c had bidden her adieu and gone to his city home she frequently found herself thinking of the beautiful maud glendower whose name it seemed to her she had heard before though when and where she could not tell a strange interest was awakened in her bosom for the unknown lady and she often wondered if they would ever meet the doctor thought of her too thought of her often and thought of her long and as his feelings toward her changed so did his manner soften toward the dark-haired girl who bore her name and who he began at last to fancy resembled her in more points than one maud was ceasing to be an object of perfect indifference to him she was an engaged young lady and as such entitled to more respect than he was wont to pay her and as the days wore on he began to have serious thoughts of making her his confidant and counsellor in a matter which he would never have entrusted to nelly accordingly one afternoon when he found her sitting upon the piazza he said first casting an anxious glance around to make sure no one heard him maud i wish to see you alone in a while wonderingly maud followed him into the parlour where her astonishment was in no wise diminished by his shutting the blinds dropping the curtains and locking the door 
Maud began to tremble, and when he drew his chair close to her side, she started up alarmed. "'Sit down, sit down,' he whispered. "'I want to tell you something which you must never mention in the world. You certainly have some sense, or I should not trust you. Maud, I am going. That is, I have every reason to believe. Or, rather, I should say, perhaps. Well, anyway, there is a prospect of my being married.' married to whom asked maud you are certain you'll never tell and that there's no one in the hall said the doctor going on tiptoe to the door and assuring himself there was no one there then returning to his seat he told her a strange story of a marvellously beautiful young girl with spanish fire in her lustrous eyes and a satin gloss on her blue-black curls her name was maud glendower and years ago she won his love leading him on and on until at last he paid her the highest honour a man can pay a woman he offered her his heart his hand his name but she refused him scornfully contemptuously refused him and he learned afterward that she had encouraged him for the sake of bringing another man to terms and that man whose name the doctor never knew was a college student not yet twenty-one i hated her then said he hated this maud glendower for her deception but i could not forget her and after katie died i sought her again she was the star of saratoga and no match for me this i had sense enough to see so i left her in her glory and three years after married your departed mother maud glendower has never married and at the age of forty has come to her senses and signified her willingness to become my wife or that is to say i have been informed by my sister that she probably would not refuse me a second time now maud remington i have told you this because i must talk with someone and as i before remarked you are a girl of sense and will keep the secret it is a maxim of mine when anything is to be done to do it so i shall visit miss glendower immediately and if i like her well enough i shall marry her at once not while i am gone of course but very soon i shall start for troy one week from to-day and i wish you would attend a little to my wardrobe it's in a most lamentable condition my shirts are all worn out my coat is rusty and last sunday i discovered a hole in my pantaloons dr kennedy exclaimed maud interrupting him you surely do not intend to present yourself before the fastidious miss glendower with those old shabby clothes she would say no sooner than she did before you must have an entire new suit you can afford it too for you have not had one since mother died dr kennedy was never in a condition to be so easily coaxed as now maud glendower had a place in his heart which no other woman had ever held and that very afternoon the village merchant was astonished at the penurious doctor's inquiring the prices of the finest broadcloth in his store it seemed a great deal of money to pay but maud remington at his elbow and maud glendower in his mind conquered at last and the new suit was bought including vest hat boots and all there is something in handsome clothes very satisfactory to most people and the doctor when arrayed in his was conscious of a feeling of pride quite unusual to him on one point however he was obstinate he would not spoil them by wearing them on the road when he could just as well dress at the hotel so maud between whom and himself there was for the time being quite an amicable understanding packed them in his trunk while hannah and louis looked on wondering what it could mean the millennial is comin or else he's goin a courtin said hannah 
and satisfied that she was right she went back to the kitchen while louis catching at once at her idea began to cry and laying his head on his sister's lap begged of her to tell him if what hannah had said were true to him it seemed like trampling on the little grave beneath the willows and it required all maud's powers of persuasion to dry his tears and soothe the pain which every child must feel when first they know that the lost mother whose memory they so fondly cherish is to be succeeded by another eleven maud glendower she was a most magnificent-looking woman as she sat within her richly furnished room on that warm september night now gazing idly down the street and again bending her head to catch the first sound of footsteps on the stairs personal preservation had been the great study of her life and forty years had not dimmed the lustre of her soft black eyes or woven one thread of silver among the luxuriant curls which clustered in such profusion around her face and neck gray hairs and maud glendower had nothing in common and the fair round cheek the pearly teeth the youthful bloom and white uncovered shoulders seemed to indicate that time had made an exception in her favour and dropped her from its wheel with a portion of her history the reader is already acquainted early orphaned she was thrown upon the care of an old aunt who proud of her wondrous beauty spared no pains to make her what nature seemed to will that she should be a coquette and a belle at seventeen we find her a schoolgirl in new haven where she turned the heads of all the college boys and then murmured because one a dark-eyed youth of twenty withheld from her the homage she claimed as her just due in a fit of pique she besieged a staid handsome young m d of twenty-seven who had just commenced to practise in the city and who proudly keeping himself aloof from the college students knew nothing of the youth she so much fancied perfectly intoxicated with her beauty he offered her his hand and was repulsed overwhelmed with disappointment and chagrin he then left the city and located himself at laurel hill where we now find him the selfish overbearing dr kennedy but in after years maud glendower was punished for that act the dark-haired student she so much loved was wedded to another and with a festering wound within her heart she plunged at once into the giddy world of fashion slaying her victims by scores and exulting as each new trophy of her power was laid at her feet she had no heart the people said and with a mocking laugh she thought of the quiet grave mid the new england hills where one moonlight night two weeks after that grave was made she had wept such tears as were never wept by her again maud glendower had loved but loved in vain and now at the age of forty she was unmarried and alone in the wide world the aunt who had been her mother had died a few months before and as her annuity ceased with her death maud was almost wholly destitute the limited means she possessed would only suffice to pay her board for a short time and in this dilemma she thought of her old lover and wondered if he could again be won he was rich she had always heard and as his wife she could still enjoy the luxuries to which she had been accustomed she knew his sister they had met in the salons of saratoga and though it hurt her pride to do it she at last signified her willingness to be again addressed it was many weeks ere dr kennedy conquered wholly his olden grudge but conquered it he had and she sat expecting him on the night when first we introduced her to our readers he had arrived in troy on the western train and written her a note announcing his intention to visit her that evening for this visit maud glendower had arrayed herself with care wearing a rich silk dress of crimson and black colours well adapted to her complexion he saw me at twenty-five he shall not think me greatly changed since then she said as over her bare neck and arm she threw an exquisitely wrought mantilla of lace 
the glendower family had once been very wealthy and the last daughter of the haughty race glittered with diamonds which had come to her from her great-grandmother and had been but recently reset and there she sat beautiful maud glendower the votary of fashion the woman of the world sat waiting for the cold hard overbearing man who thought to make her his wife a ring at the door a heavy tread upon the winding stairs and the lady rests her head upon her hand so that her glossy curls fall over but do not conceal her white rounded arm where the diamonds are shining i could easily mistake him for my father she thought as a grey-haired man stepped into the room where he paused an instant bewildered with the glare of light and the display of pictures mirrors tapestry rosewood and marble which met his view mrs berkeley maud glandower's aunt had stinted herself to gratify her niece's whims and their surroundings had always been of the most expensive kind so it was not strange that dr kennedy accustomed only to ingrain carpet and muslin curtains was dazzled by so much elegance with a well-feigned start the lady arose to her feet and going to his side offered him her hand saying you are dr kennedy i am sure i should have known you anywhere for you are but little changed she meant to flatter his self-love though thanks to maud remington for having insisted upon the broadcloth suit he looked remarkably well she had not changed at all he said and the admiring gaze he fixed upon her argued well for her success it becomes us not to tell how that strange wooing sped suffice it to say that at the expiration of an hour maud glendower had promised to be the wife of dr kennedy when another spring should come she had humbled herself to say that she regretted her girlish freak and he had so far unbent his dignity as to say that he could not understand why she should be willing to leave the luxuries which surrounded her and go with him a plain old-fashioned man maud glendower scorned to make him think that it was love which actuated her and she replied now that my aunt is dead i have no natural protector i am alone and want a home but mine is so different he said there are no silk curtains there no carpets such as this is maud remington there the lady asked and in her large black eyes there was a dewy tenderness as she pronounced that name maud remington yes the doctor answered where did you hear of her my sister told you i suppose yes maud is there she has lived with me ever since her mother died you would have liked mattie i think and the doctor felt a glow of satisfaction in having thus paid a tribute to the memory of his wife is maud like her mother the lady asked a glow upon her cheek and the expression of her face evincing the interest she felt in the answer not at all returned the doctor mattie was blue-eyed and fair while maud is dark and resembles her father they say the white jewelled hands were clasped together for a moment and then maud glendower questioned him of the other one mattie's child and his very tenderly the doctor talked of his unfortunate boy telling of his soft brown hair his angel face and dreamy eyes he is like mattie the lady said more to herself than her companion who proceeded to speak of nelly as a paragon of loveliness and virtue i shan't like her i know the lady thought but the other two how her heart bounded at the thoughts of folding them to her bosom louis kennedy weeping that his mother was forgotten had nothing to fear from maud glendower for a child of mattie remington was a sacred trust to her and when as the doctor bade her good-night he said again you will find a great contrast between your home and mine she answered i shall be contented if maud and louis are there 
and nelly too the doctor added unwilling that she should be overlooked yes nelly too the lady answered the expression of her mouth indicating that nelly too was an object of indifference to her the doctor is gone his object is accomplished and at the mansion-house near by he sleeps quietly and well but the lady maud glendower oh who shall tell what bitter tears she wept or how in her inmost soul she shrank from the man she had chosen and yet there was nothing repulsive in him she knew he was fine-looking he stood well in the world he was rich while she was poor but not for this alone had she promised to be his wife to hold maud remington within her arms to look into her eyes to call his daughter child this was the strongest reason of them all and was it strange that when at last she slept she was a girl again looking across the college green to catch a glimpse of one whose indifference had made her what she was a selfish scheming cold-hearted woman there was another interview next morning and then the doctor left her but not until with her soft hand in his and her shining eyes upon his face she said to him you think your home is not a desirable one for me can you fix it up a little are there two parlours and do the windows come to the floor i hope your carriage horses are in good condition for i am very fond of driving have you a flower garden i anticipate much pleasure in working among the plants oh it will be so cool and nice in the country you have a nice house of course poor doctor double parlours low windows ice-house and flower-garden he had none while the old carry-all had long since ceased to do its duty and its place was supplied by an open buggy drawn by a sorrel nag but maud glendower could do with him what katie and mattie could not have done and after his return to laurel hill he was more than once closeted with maud to whom he confided his plan of improving the place asking her if she thought the profits of next year's crop of wheat and wool would meet the whole expense maud guessed at random that it would and as money in prospect seems not quite so valuable as money in hand the doctor finally concluded to follow out maud glendower's suggestions and greatly to the surprise of the neighbours the repairing process commenced End of chapters ten and eleven